Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk Podcast. I'm Sultan Ghaznawi, your host, and today we will be talking about marketing in the age of everything online. We will cover a varied topic such as personal branding, influencer marketing, marketing your translation business, and establishing a marketing strategy that goes with your company goals. My guest today is Catherine Busman. She's the head of Verbacino Inc., a strategic marketing consultancy that helps digital-first B2B companies build their global brand. Her award-winning audio show, The Worldly Marketer Podcast, is a weekly exploration of what it takes to go global in today's digital, social, multilingual marketplace. Catherine loves to work at the intersection of content marketing and localization. She's a member of the Globalization and Localization Association and the Global Chamber. She's also a co-founder of WLEC, the Eastern Canada chapter of Women in Localization. Catherine is based in Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me, Sultan. It's a pleasure to be on your show. And and congratulations on on launching a podcast. Thank Uh, you. It's very exciting. Thank you. So let me jump right into the first question that I have for you for the show today. Let's start with you telling me how did you find the passion and curiosity to focus on marketing with your linguistic background? Well, I do have a background in linguistics and and by linguistics, I mean the science of language and human language and how human language works. I was specifically working on phonology, historical phonology. So <laughs> very ivory towerish, very uh, theoretical, uh, very academic. And I was kind of heading for an academic career, frankly, as a professor of linguistics. Finished my PhD at the Humboldt University in Berlin. And, uh, and then I took a break. Uh, life happened. I took a break. I raised my daughter. I kind of decided that I really wanted wanted to apply my knowledge and my language skills, my interest in language and and culture to something much more practical. And it took me a while to get to the point where I launched my own consultancy. But when I did, it was, uh, I guess the first iteration of it was called a sort of a multilingual communications services company, uh, which was kind of fuzzy in my mind, you know, what that meant exactly and and who I was trying to serve and and how. But uh, I figured, you know, I'm I'm going to be working for myself. I can do this from anywhere. That's kind of the model I want to start off with. And uh, it really took a couple of years for me to figure out what I was offering. And in that time, of course, I had to learn all about marketing because when you, as you know, Sultan, when you're a business owner, you're not going to get many clients if you're not marketing your business, right? Of course, you have to get the word out. If no one knows you exist, I mean, you're not going to get many clients. So I kind of jumped into the whole marketing world and I just decided to learn everything I could about it. And this was uh, 2014, 2015. So it was already a time when social media was becoming very important for business marketing purposes. And I just found to my surprise, quite frankly, that I really enjoyed learning about marketing and marketing strategy and what marketing is and and how it can be done, how it can be approached and what it means in a digital context. And I just, I really found it fascinating. And I just started learning all about that. And then it occurred to me that this is actually something I would love to focus on as a business model and that that's what I would like to help people with because I didn't really see a lot of 
people, independent marketers like myself, at least in my neck of the woods where I was at the time, doing marketing in a, any kind of multilingual way, in any kind of uh, global, global-minded way. It was all very locally focused, you know, unilingual. And I thought, well, maybe that's my niche then. Maybe I should be focusing on that. And uh, that's something where I, I have an interest and I, I can help people. So that's where it came from. And, and it's, it's been a learning curve ever since, but it's been very exciting. And I'm, I'm, I'm now very passionate about marketing in general. I, I think it's a very misunderstood field, and uh, but it's, it's such an important field for, for any business uh, and, and for small companies as well as big companies. Uh, absolutely. And that being said, you're an authority in that area and I respect that a lot. So tell me a little bit more about now that you have formed this marketing business to help people understand how to get their product or their service to a global level. Tell me a little bit more about the value that you deliver in this space to your clients. Well, I focus on content marketing strategy for global growth. So I don't really deal with execution so much. I mean, I do it for my own business because uh, I am a one woman operation and, and I do all my own marketing. But for for clients, it's all about uh, strategic uh, work and always with a global perspective. So helping businesses that are ready to strategically start expanding internationally into, into new markets, helping them with a content strategy that's going to help them get to where they're going. So I come from a, a very much from an inbound marketing perspective. I am all about content marketing. And uh, so that means creating valuable, educational, perhaps even entertaining content that clients or potential clients will appreciate and will seek out, ideally will seek out. And that creates a a relationship of trust and of uh, mutual understanding between the client and the, the vendor. The value I think I bring is that I, so I don't have a formal background in marketing. Uh, My background is in linguistics, it's in communication studies, so that which is a little bit different actually, because when I did my degree in communication studies uh, more years ago now than I care to say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was very much about uh, the theory of mass media, and at the time, of course, that meant uh, television and radio and, and uh, newspapers, magazines. Uh, there, there really was no internet at that time, so theory of mass media, and then uh, you know my linguistics background. I come at marketing from a very uh, different perspective than maybe someone who has a degree in marketing. Right. And I think that's actually a good thing because I, I, I'm not kind of constrained by these ideas of what marketing used to be or should be or ought to be. I, I look at it from a, a very practical point of view. What What is it for? What is it trying to achieve? How are people using communication channels now? You know, not, right. not, not five years ago and not 10 years ago. It has changed a lot. It has changed a lot, even in the time since yeah. I launched my own business, right? So, and it's changing all the time. So if you're not willing to keep learning <laughs> as a marketer, you're going to struggle because, because it's changing, like almost from one year to the next, things are changing. So you, you have to constantly reevaluate what works and what doesn't work. And also people on the receiving end of marketing are changing in their attitudes towards digital and, and every other kind of marketing because People are just being bombarded with content now, right? Right. So you have to be very careful as a marketer how you approach your content strategy. Even within the digital marketing space, it's just not one area that you can focus. There is things such as search engine optimization, which, for example, in your case, if you're advising a company that's going global, what does it mean for them to market themselves that way? Or uh, there's also social media marketing if you're going through LinkedIn or especially in the B2B environment, right? And then there's email and then there's so many other channels within the digital marketing space that one can focus or concentrate. And uh, picking up the right channel is what actually will make the difference compared 
to just yelling to a crowd of people that, that don't care about your product or service. Absolutely. And and so that it's, it goes back to actually the, the first rule of marketing, which I don't think will ever change. You know, the, a lot of things change, but this doesn't change. You have to know your audience. You have Absolutely. to know where your customers are and you have to under, understand your customers. And so if your customers are on Facebook, then be on Facebook, right? If your customers are on LinkedIn, then be on LinkedIn. Maybe they're on both, right? But they're on Twitter, be on Twitter. And and I, I mean, I'm on a few different platforms and most people are. Like if you look at, um, you know, statistics on how many different social media platforms people are on, on average, like the, the I think the global average is like people are on at least six different platforms. Now they might be doing completely different things on each of those platforms. So you need to figure out where your customers are and which platform is suited for be, which function, I guess. Yes. On which platform will they be actually receptive to interacting with you? Because, you know, maybe they're on Facebook for personal reasons and for you to barge in there is not going to be very appreciated or on, on Instagram, right? It's, it's, you have to kind of know your audience, know your customers and, and meet them where they are. And, and that means experimenting quite often, right? Seeing what works and what doesn't work. Of course. And, and that's where you come in, Oliver Bacino comes in and provides that advice as to how to get what type of content over what channel to which audience. Exactly, exactly. So since this show is geared towards language translation companies, and most of these companies are global in nature by default, uh, from where you sit, what do you see as the landscape where the LSPs are? Do you see a good balance of proper marketing and sales strategies in place? Or do you see a lot of people winging it? I see a lot of people winging it. Yeah, I see I see a lot of different things. What I'm seeing a lot of lately, and I think it's because people are, are maybe a bit more, more people are looking for work than perhaps before or maybe it's just that there more people are, are aware of me I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I I'm getting a lot of cold emails recently which um, wasn't always the case so I'm not sure what to attribute that to exactly but I'm getting a lot more cold emails than I used to from people who are language vendors whether they're freelancers or um, you know agencies right. and uh, and I, I guess they they think or they hope that I am a potential buyer. And so they reach out to me. And what strikes me most of the time is the complete lack of positioning. So they will they will go on and on about, you know, the language combinations that they can offer, you know, the, the accreditations that they have, uh, all, all the different qualifications that they bring to the table, how many years they've been in business. And that's nice. But like, there's no nothing about their email tells me that they've taken even a second to find out about me and what I do and what I care about, you know, what my business is about. And that's a problem because they're they're basically telling me that it's like approaching someone, you know, at a networking event and just immediately starting to talk about yourself. Right. On it's and inappropriate on and on. actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and so that's not going to that's not going to work, right? As a strategy, uh, you need to like, okay, I mean, I'm not a big fan of cold emails to begin with, but okay, there there is an argument to be, to be made, but at least at least personalize it. At least show that you've taken the time to um, figure out what the person's name is. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I Sultan, I got a, uh, an email the other day that um, started with. Uh, it was from a language vendor, and it started with "Dear Sirs." That's that's one way for me to 
immediately delete the email right then and there. Well, just to share my I'm, experience. I'm not interested in uh, I got an email uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, from uh, someone, uh, I'm, I'm guessing from Asia. And it, it, it's a language translation company. But at the bottom, they said, we are also selling PPE masks and uh, oh. hand sanitizers. So that tells you how focused they are. And I, I guess it's also a symbol of uh, desperation to some degree to me. I, I, I think I know who you're talking about because this was uh, this was uh, discussed, I think, on, on the Slater podcast and on, on LinkedIn. And so, yeah, it, I mean, it's unfortunate because um, that's the kind of thing that damages your brand, right, as a of company. Course. And so you have to be very careful. And, and another thing I would say about some of these cold emails that I've been receiving, I'm always, frankly, shocked when I get an email from a language vendor and there are typos and grammatical mistakes in it because that's a sure way for me to put you on my blacklist of vendors I would not choose to work with. If like I don't I don't care if uh, you know English is not the language into which you translate. Right. You're you're a language vendor. You have access to the best other resources. language vendors. Yes, and and you could the, the very least you could do is have someone who's a native speaker proofread your email template because it's clearly a template that they send to everyone. There's nothing personalized about it. Ha- make sure it's proofread. <laughs> of course, yes. And, and, and you know, ideally, if you want to get really ambitious, and it's not even that ambitious, but at least have, ha- have a, a native speaking copywriter sort of reword it for you in a way that's going to be a little bit more engaging. Of course. And I think there are lots of uh, services now offering uh, email blasts. So if you notice some of these emails are like in the to field, uh, you will notice undisclosed recipients. So it's probably sent to a mailing list and, and there's no research done and someone just composed it and sent it out. I think that's a, um, a way to shoot yourself in the foot by telling people, hey, I just spent some time and some money probably getting this email out to you, but I know I'll probably not get any business. Yeah, it's, it's uh, what I call the spray and pray approach, right? So right. it's just about the volume. It's all about volume. Uh, but but uh, unfortunately, I think that's that's counterproductive right because you're 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 not demonstrating any kind of expertise uh you're you're not differentiating yourself from your competitors and and you do have plenty of competitors as as we all know it's a very competitive industry right so of course i think positioning is so important it's even more important now that you know people are becoming a bit more desperate for client work you need to stand out from your competitors. Right. And the way you do that, I think, is by demonstrating that you have a specialization, right? And whether it's uh, in terms of the, the language combinations that you are are able to provide, and, and, you know, sometimes these are very, very specialized language combinations, which are rare and hard to find. That's, that's a specialization. But more often it's going to be, uh, or it can also be, your vertical that you specialize in. And if you don't have a vertical that you specialize in, maybe it's time to find one because I think that general vendors that, you know, will translate anything for anyone in any vertical are going to have a harder and harder time to find clients. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I think it's time to think about who are your preferred clients that you really enjoy working with, which, what, which verticals would you like to work in more and focus on that. Yeah, and where you're that... comfortable, right? Like what yeah. What are you able to do best, I guess? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, I have listened to the Worldly Marketer podcast. What an amazing show. And uh, you have some amazing guests there. Uh, where do you see is a disconnect in the messaging between the language services community? I'm not talking about freelancers. Uh, about language uh, companies and the client-side community, the buyer-side community. Like where's the disconnect? From my standpoint, I, I, I think you touched on this earlier, 
there is an issue with uh, with explaining actually what we are doing. So where do you see that disconnect is ha- right now happening? Um, I think it's I think the disconnect has been there for a while. <laughs> um, you know, I always like to say that the first time I ever heard the word localization was several years into having already launched my own business. Right. I'd never heard of localization and, and I have a background in linguistics, right? Which is, uh, I mean, when I say I'm a linguist by training, I mean something a bit different from what most localizer uh, localization experts mean, but, um, I had never heard of the field of localization. I think if I had had heard of it, uh, when I was back in university, I would have probably gravitated towards that. Uh, but it wasn't offered where I was. Uh, I was at the university of Ottawa. I mean, there was a translation department, but uh, that, that to me was not something that I was uh, pursuing. So I think localization is like the best kept secret <laughs> uh, within the ecosystem of global business. I really do, because no one outside of localization circles knows that it even exists. I know. And, and I think, you know why I think that is? Localization, people are not very good at marketing themselves outside of their own business. And, and I, I'm just going to put that out there and, and you can, you can disagree with me, but like I had never heard of it before I got into, you know, my area and started to connect with people in localization and, and realize, oh, there's, it's a thing, right? It's a thing that is actually super interesting and that I want to learn more about. To, to most business people, they've never heard of localization, even if, even if they're doing global business or, or aspire to do global business. So that to me is a failure of marketing <laughs> Absolutely. On, the, on the part of the localization industry. I think the, I think localization people are really, really good at talking amongst themselves. To and each other, see, of course. Yeah, and you see that at, at conferences like LocWorld, which which is great. It's a great conference. But you know, not a lot of participants on the client side there. It's it's mostly vendor side people. And and that's fine. And and it's important to stay on top of what's happening in your industry, but it's not really helping to get the message out to people outside of the industry who actually would really benefit from that expertise, right? So I think I think uh, what what localization people need to do a lot more of in general is start networking with people outside their industry and 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 learning the language of business. And I think one one person who does a fantastic job of explaining this and and giving localization people some some ways to to do that is uh, Natalie Kelly. And I think you've mentioned her on on a previous podcast episode. Yes. She has a fantastic, she has a fantastic blog and anyone who's not already subscribed to this blog should subscribe immediately. It's called the born to be global blog. And she is just publishing one spot on article after another about this very topic. And it's all about how, you know, localization people who, after all, are in the business of communication (laughs) and who have a passion in general, have a passion for languages. It's time for them to learn the language of their clients. The language of business, of course. Yes. Yeah, I I noticed that as well. Uh, I think it in part has to do with uh, the fact that we are too focused and and we are such a fragmented industry where uh, everybody is trying to get the work done as opposed to trying to um, get people educated on this. So, uh, unfortunately, yes, it has lagged behind. But I think now with the, the advent of content and the volumes that are happening, people are uh, noticing the, this industry and, and uh, what we do. So, um, we need evangelists, as you mentioned, uh, people like Natalie Kelly and yourself, of course, to get the word out. And you're doing an amazing job on your podcast. Well, it has sort of become a bit of a mission of mine with, with the podcast, especially, is to kind of try to bridge that that divide and and. I guess, educate localization 
people about what clients care about and educate clients, potential localization clients, about what localization brings to the table in terms of uh, value add for their business. And that's that's what clients care about. They don't honestly like don't talk to them about what's under the hood. Like if we want to use the analogy of a car. Right. Like honestly, like clients don't really care about how the motor works, you know, how the engine works, all the the latest innovations under the hood there. You know, that's that's something you can talk about to your colleagues in the industry. If you find a client who cares about that stuff, great, talk about that too. But most clients don't really care about that. What they care about is that the car is going to get them to their destination, you know, where they're trying to go in the terms end of product. Yes, they're, they're, the, the business outcomes is what they, they care about. So talk to them about business outcomes. Okay. That's, that's what they care about. Well, on, on a related subject, I know you mentioned positioning earlier and, and LSPs or language companies, I should say LSCs, um, you know, bad habits die hard. So language service companies uh, have a hard time differentiating in, in this crowded language marketplace. I think, uh, there's a lot of language companies, small, medium size. I think in North America alone, there's some 20,000 or something. Uh, everyone is selling the same thing these days. Um, how do they differentiate themselves? Uh, again, I think it comes back to figuring out what your positioning is. Because if, if you're competing on price, <laughs> it's, it's a race to the bottom, right? And, and we've all seen it. Absolutely. And, and we see it every day. So that's not good for the industry as a whole. It's really about, um, again, figuring out what kind of client you would most want to work with in terms of industry verticals, right? Type of content, perhaps, that you choose to translate. Is it going to be more on the marketing side? Is it going to be more on the uh, technical side? There's so many different, you know, is it going to be game localization? There's so many different ways to specialize now. And you just have to figure out where you can add the best value, the most value to your clients, and then present yourself that way. Make that part of your value proposition and the way you position yourself. I, I think that's just so important because, you know, as as you know, in in the localization industry, in the translation industry, AI is becoming more and more important. It's it's being in, integrated into more and more tools. Right. And frankly, it's going to take over a lot of the grunt work, what, what people maybe thought of as grunt work before. And, and, and also things that, are, that need to be translated almost instantaneously, like in real time, when it comes to like chatbots or when it comes to, you know, help desks. Right. I mean, these are things that, frankly, <laughs> let AI do that stuff, right? Because for, for human beings to do that uh, would be kind of tricky just because of the sheer volume and the, the over the... the the turnover times, right, that are involved. Absolutely. Let the humans focus on the higher value stuff. And and you decide for your business what that's going to be. But, like, pick something that is much more high value and that you can really become specialized in and where you can explain to your potential clients how this adds value to their business. Since we are talking about value and uh, unique selling or offer, how do you craft offers that stand out in the language industry. Uh, articulating uh, a service as an offer is hard enough for a services company. Gaining attention about translation services is even harder. I have a feeling no language company has really successfully explained what do they what they do to an end client in an easy-to-understand way for um, 
for people outside our industry to 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 grasp what what we are all about. You mentioned earlier that people haven't heard of localization outside the industry. So what can we do to, for example, present ourselves um, to a client uh, during their decision making process, and 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 they can quickly jump onto our offer? Well, I think a good place to start is think about the clients you already have or have had and, and that you are on good terms with, <laughs> who you know are happy with the work you've done for them, and have a conversation with them about, you know, why why did you have a, a positive experience working with me? What was it about my services that you appreciated the most? And they're not going to say, you know, very technical stuff about how you go about, they're not going to talk about TMS and cat tools and all that stuff. That's not what they're going to tell you, probably. They're going to say, you know, how you as a service provider were approachable and how you understood what they were trying to achieve, how you were able to uh, understand their business model and understand how you could best approach a particular project to make it as effective as possible for, for their goals. And just talk to your clients. You know, what what do they like about you? <laughs> what, of course, yes. What, what, if, if they were to recommend you to someone, like when you, when you have someone introducing you to someone else, uh, let's say you have a, a client recommending you to someone in their network as a service provider. What, what do they say about you? What, what do they say in their email to this other person? You know, I'd like you to meet Sultan. He's, he, he specializes in these languages. He's, he's really good because dot, dot, dot. Like what, what is it that they say about you? That's, that's your value add. That's what you should lead with when you're, when you're talking about how you can help potential new clients, I think. And most of the time, what you think is your strength or value add and what your client think, they're two different things. So you may not know what, you, what type of value you've added to your client's need. Exactly. And that's why you should ask them. And you should of say, course. you know, follow up with your clients and say, so, you know, that thing that we worked on for you, you know, how's that going? How's that working out for you? Is it getting you more business? Like how is it just, you know, get, get do some follow up and do some do some research on you know whether what you do has any value like like what's the return on investment i guess right we're always in marketing we always like to talk about return on investment and i find that a lot of language vendors don't really take an interest in that and it's hard sometimes to to know exactly what the return on investment is in in monetary terms but it's not all about monetary right Yes. Return return is not always monetary. There there are other ways to measure that. But I think it's time that language vendors start measuring ROI. What, what yeah, ROI for their clients. And they, the only way you can do that of course is to ask your client, <laughs> follow up with your client and and have a conversation about that. Okay. So moving on, uh, let me ask you about uh who should we sell to? I, I you talked about the audiences earlier. Most translation companies sell to anyone interested in buying their service. Uh, whether someone needs a birth certificate or a helicopter manual translated, they want to do both of them or all of them. That's not the right way to market and build expertise, is it? Well, it depends on what kind of service provider you want to be, right? If if you want to be a jack of all trades and you want to be everything to everyone, fine, you know, do that. But I, I just don't think it's a very good business model. I, I don't think it's going to help you grow as a business. It, it's certainly not going to get you higher value clients. That's for sure. Uh, because higher value clients want to know that you understand their industry specifically. Like I'm not going to go 
work with a translator, like I'm a, I'm a, I, I work in marketing. <laughs> yes. If, if, if I'm looking for people to team up with on a, on a project, on a client project, it's going to be a marketing project. And I'm going to be looking for language vendors or, or freelancers even who specialize in marketing translation. Of course. And even, even more specifically, I personally, I would make sure that they're in country in, in the country of the language that they're translating into and that they're quite obviously immersed in the current culture, the current consumer culture of that market. So that, and, and, and on top of that, I would probably look for someone who also does copywriting in, in that native language, in addition to translating into that language. Because for me, that's important. I, I want to make sure that they understand. I want to make sure that they understand marketing, right? Right. If, if you're looking for someone who really understands legal, then look for someone who specializes in legal translation. If you're looking for someone who really understands pharmaceutical, <laughs> then look for someone who specializes in pharmaceutical. I personally, as a, as a potential buyer, I'm looking for someone who specializes in marketing. And I think every other potential buyer out there is in that same boat. You know, all things being equal, they're going to go with someone who's specialized in their vertical. So someone who's an SME in a specific subject matter. Sure. Like, I mean, it could be a freelancer. Like, right. I, I don't mind working with freelancers. If I'm putting together a team for a specific client project, maybe maybe all I need is, is one or two really good freelancers, and that's all I need. If I'm a big enterprise level, uh, you know, buyer, then... Maybe what I really need is is a, a larger agency or, or LSP that's going to be able to also provide all kinds of, you know, really clever technical solutions. Uh, every buyer is different, and every buyer has different right. needs. And and so you just have to, as a as I think as a vendor, you have to understand who your ideal client is. And if you don't understand that yet, figure it out. And right. then, and then make make that ideal client the focus of your marketing strategy. So, on, on that subject, uh, Catherine, uh, how do you do some soul searching to find what is best in you, in both your capabilities and in customer demand, and that you could marry the two and build a proper product or service that you can market? Um, I, th I think you go on based on where you are best, where, where you feel you do your best work. You know, right. think about clients you've worked with, which which were the the clients that you really enjoyed working with the most, uh, and and you would you would just love to have more clients like that. I think that's that's a good indication of of where you should focus your marketing efforts. Yeah, just again, I come back to positioning. You know, if if people don't see that you have a very clear positioning. In a, in a highly competitive industry like, like language services. It, it's just, hard to get noticed and it's hard to sell. It's hard to get, yeah. And, and also the other thing, I mean, I, I think I just posted recently a, a, a LinkedIn post about positioning because I've been thinking about this myself uh, for my own you know, consultancy. Positioning is really the first step because without proper, clear positioning of your services, it's really hard to build a brand. And, and by branding, I mean... Branding is, is how you put yourself out there to to the world, right? As as a business, right? Or even if it's if you, even if you're just a freelancer, you still have a brand. But it's hard to do that if you don't know what your positioning is. And then the next step after you've positioned yourself and created branding around that, then you can start building a marketing strategy. And that's where you get strategic about getting marketing 
pieces of marketing, whether it's it's posts on social media or, or some sort of content platform like a podcast or, or a blog or something, or even just the copy on your website, right? Something right. that that reaches out specifically to your ideal client, where people coming to that, you know, coming across that content, wherever it is, they, they immediately realize who you're trying to work with. And they can either say, okay, yeah, that's not me, but I know someone who would be perfect, right? That, this is the thing. You're trying to create what some people refer to as refer to as these Rolodex moments, right? Where right. if your positioning is clear enough, you should be able to be the first person that pops into people's heads or the first company that pops into people's heads when they need that thing that you're really good at. And, and if, if you're, if you're not the first person or the first company that pops into their heads, go back and rethink your positioning because you, you obviously have someone else of <laughs> that you're competing with, right? Who's, who's the first choice there. One of my subject, uh, one of my favorite subjects is business development, and, and a lot of people associate business development with sales. I think business development is a lot more. It starts with your, uh, with crafting your offer, what you are selling actually, and and once you determine what you're selling and how unique that is, then you obviously come up with a marketing plan and and take the word out, and and then you know when people are interested, then you engage them in the sales process. But a lot of people, a lot of translation companies, uh, I don't know if it's a sign of desperation or what, they basically think that they have a single skill set that can apply to everything. And I know we talked about this earlier, but that's not the right approach to, to get the word out and, and get people interested in you. You need to be um, good at a specific vertical, right? Well, I would say so. I mean, because if you're, if you're, if you don't know much about legal do you really want to be doing legal translation probably not of course not yeah. <laughs> right and and there aren't that many i mean correct me if i'm wrong sultan because you're the you're the language vendor not me but are there a lot of projects out there translation projects are out there that are kind of without category that are just generic that really any translation vendor could do equally well i mean aren't they all don't they all fall into some sort of category whether it's uh, you know uh, more technical translation or, or more kind of, of marketing course. translation or, or you know, what have you. I mean, there's so many different areas to potentially specialize in. And, and, I think and, every, and yeah. even subcategories within those. Like if you're talking about medical, I mean, there's medical devices, there are pharmaceuticals and so forth. And the more uh, laser focused you are, the more uh, you're an expert in a specific area and probably the more demand there is for your skill. Yeah, and and the less replaceable you are, right? You're not you're not one of many. You're you're the person for this thing, right? Absolutely. So that's that's that should be your goal. You should be as a language vendor or as a freelancer. Certainly, you should be. I think try to position yourself as as the go-to expert for this particular niche. And that that may be counterintuitive because you think, well, but what about all the other clients I could be working with? That that's sort of the it feels counterintuitive, but at the end of the day, you're going to be much happier working with clients that you know you're delivering value to, and they're going to be happier knowing and seeing for themselves that you you actually are brilliant at this this very specific thing that you do well. And maybe there's more than just this one thing, but. But like you got to narrow it down. If 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 you are trying to be a jack of all trades, uh, people are going to perceive you at least as a master of none. Absolutely. And that can't be good. Less is more. Okay. All right. So let's talk about um, another area within marketing: uh, budgets. 
larger companies or the super LSEs as they're known obviously have the funding and budget to run a marketing machine. Then you have small and medium-sized language service companies that barely have any budget. Sometimes the admin assistant takes on the role of marketing of the marketing person in the company. What advice do you have for companies of that size that want to make a mark and create a little bit of a buzz for themselves? Well, listen, you know, as someone who <laughs> has always done her own marketing uh, with no external help whatsoever, <laughs> um, you can do it. You know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Does it require an investment in time? Does it, you know, does it involve a really sometimes very steep learning curve? Absolutely. But but it's what you have to do, and and if you can't outsource it, then you then you have to do it yourself. So it's you can either spend money and outsource it to someone who understands your brand and understands what you're trying to achieve and understands who your ideal clients are. But the best the person who knows all this stuff the best is is you. What you maybe don't have is the marketing kind of know how. But that's something you can learn. You know, if I can learn it, <laughs> you can learn it too. So uh, it's yeah where is that balance for you or for your company? That's something you have to decide for yourself, right? If, if you, if you neither have the time nor the interest nor the budget <laughs> to yes. do any marketing, well, what can I tell you? Right. Well, yeah, something you're, has you're, to give. You're going to struggle. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so that's a good segue to my next question. Uh, uh, let me give you some context before I ask this question. So I spoke with someone uh, not too long ago and I asked him, how do you translate your content within your company? He said, well, we have one of our engineers uh, every Friday translate the documentation. I said, that's one day out of the five days in a week. He said, yeah, that's 20% of his engineering time that he's spending on, on translation. So that got me thinking, can marketing of a specialized expertise, such as localization in this case, be outsourced entirely? Um so that the, the, the LSE doesn't have to spend their time um, doing the marketing. Is it cost prohibitive or efficient at all? For the LSE to outsource their marketing? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I think it depends on the LSC. I mean, if you have people in-house who are sort of naturally gifted marketers, and, and, and you may have those people in-house, that's great, right? But it it is it is kind of a full-time job like let's not kid ourselves it is or at least a part-time job depending on you know how ambitious you want to get you know if if you want to have a blog if you want to launch a podcast i mean there's there's no upper limit right to what you could be doing from a marketing point of view right but not all of it's going to be strategically worth doing so so think about think about what resources to do if if you have people in house who are naturally kind of interested in, in marketing and, and who maybe have a, a knack for it, who are very uh, intuitively gifted and in sort of crafting marketing copy and, and uh, you know, they're, they're good on social media. They, they're good at um, understanding the brand value and, and, and you trust them to, for instance, manage your social media accounts on your behalf. That's great. Like, you know, leverage that. That's great. But, you know, don't expect them to do it in their spare time because it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, but if you don't have the in-house capabilities, yeah, you're going to have to outsource it, and and that's that's an investment. It's just like it's just like localization, right? Of course, yes. It's it's an investment. It's not a cost. It's an investment. So, uh, is there a, a specialized type of marketing that that is uh, good for the language industry to promote its its values and and what it offers? Because I don't think a, a standard marketing person can do a good job. Of explaining what we do. Well, um, 
maybe the solution is to seek out localization experts who specialize in marketing translation or trans creation, maybe convince them to do your marketing for you because they might be in the best position to bridge that gap. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Yes. So that's, that's one way to look at it. Anyone who has a sort of a foot in both worlds, who understands uh, how to speak the language of the clients, who understands what goes on on the, uh, the vendor side, right. would be in a position to sort of bridge that gap and, and um, be able to translate the value proposition that the vendor is trying to convey to the client or potential client. For a moment, I want you to think about the hardest problem in marketing translation services. What is the best way to approach it? I think, in my opinion, the hardest problem is just communicating our value proposition, what we are offering to people. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a problem that I'm seeing. So I, I would agree with you there. Um, how do you solve that? Again, I mean, I think you have to get outside your own industry and uh, just take more of an interest in what people in the business world care about and then figure out how what you do as a localization expert or as a translation company can do to solve some of those problems that they have. I, I really think it's it's all about being more client focused at the end of the day, right? Of course. Focusing all your your all your messaging, your marketing messaging on the client, not on, on yourself and what you do, but on the client and what they're trying to achieve. I have noticed that uh, a lot of companies that, uh, or translation companies, when they try to engage with their clients, their clients could be in a number of different industries. They do not speak their client's language. They do not use the same terminology or even abbreviations that the client uses to describe um, the nature of their business or what they do. And that, that kind of puts a little bit of a disconnect between the service provider and the client. How, in your opinion, how important it is for the translation company to understand the lingo being used in their target industry? Well, it's crucial. It's it's absolutely crucial. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, if if you're a marketer and you're trying to work with with a, a business to help them with their marketing efforts, you you can't really do that if you don't understand what the business does and who its target audience is and what their value proposition is. That's, that's, it's your job as a marketer to understand that. And I think, I think localization, uh, localization efforts are the same, right? Because you're, you're, you're working with content and that content always has a purpose. Absolutely. Whether it's market, whether it's marketing content or technical content or any other kind of content, Mar content doesn't exist in a vacuum. It always has a purpose. So your job, I think, as a localization expert is to understand what that purpose is. Right. And, and, and demonstrate to your client that you understand what that purpose is. And, and, and then to continue on that, you also need to know who exactly is looking at this content. Are you uh, expecting the CEO of uh, your clients um, to be looking at this or the project managers or um, procurement managers within that organization reading your uh, uh, marketing content because uh, they all speak different languages. They their uh, priorities are different. Absolutely, and and as a as a localization vendor, you're in the best position to make sure that the content that is localized is localized with that in mind. So, but but it comes back to what I was just saying. Content has a purpose. So so it's your job 
I think, as a, as a localization vendor to, to take a really keen interest in, in what the purpose of that content is. And that means, obviously, who is the target audience for that content. Uh, it, just curious to ask you, uh, since you're in the marketing industry, what job title normally looks at, at content coming from the translation industry? Is there any uh, consensus on that? All kinds of different people in in a, in a business uh, organization would be interested in translation translated content, right? Anything from you know uh, the marketing team to the engineering team to the sales team to the you know PR team to, and everything in between. I mean, there's localization. If you look at um, how localization teams at really large enterprise companies. Uh, operate and who they who they help within the company within the enterprise they work with every other team in the enterprise basically and, and that uh, further complicates the effort to to get the message out to the right people because there's such a wide variety of uh, different job titles well and that's why you have to special i think as a vendor that's why you have to specialize right if, if right. Uh, it, you know it's one thing to be in-house and to know exactly who you're working with and and why but if, if you're an external vendor, you need to get really clear on, on who you're trying to work with within those companies. And, and because, frankly, large, large companies, large enterprises have multiple vendors anyway, right, to help right. them with different kinds of things. There are two types of language companies these days. These are, there are those that are simply marketing powerhouses. Without giving any names, they blast hundreds of thousands of emails and flyers every week. But their operation is basically subpar. They, they're spending a lot, a lot of time marketing. Then you have the companies that are big on operations and they lack on marketing. What is the right balance? I think the right balance is when you know you've had, you have the right balance when you're attracting the right kinds of clients. And, and that's, that can be different for every vendor, right? I mean, it really depends on who you want to be working with. But if you are not getting the clients you want, then go back to your positioning and, and then, then look at your branding and then look at your marketing strategy. And, and, <laughs> and, and that brings us to strategy. So let's talk about strategy development. What does an LSE owner uh, need to think about when developing a marketing strategy? I think uh, as an LSE owner, the first thing you need to make sure of is that you can be found, that you have uh, some kind of virtual real estate where people can find you no matter where they are. That's usually a website. People aren't going to magically find that website, though, so you have to start working on a marketing strategy to help people find you, and that, and, and that marketing strategy should always lead them back to your website. Right. Uh, that marketing strategy is going to involve digital channels, you know, like social networks. Uh, but the one thing that you really should do, and, and there are very few markets where this wouldn't apply, is you need to start building your email list. Because even if, you know, your domain, like your server, where you have your website goes like poof tomorrow right. and right. it all disappears. <laughs> it has happened. If you at least still have an email list. Right. That's you can you can rebuild with that email list, right? That's what you really need to hold on to. It's yours, right? You you have those are the people who want to hear from you, who want to work with you potentially. Right. So that email list is is the number one thing you need to start building if you haven't been doing that already. It doesn't matter whether you're a freelancer or whether you're a larger company. You you need to start building your email list, and there's all kinds of ways to do that, but no one can take that away from you once you have it, right? Of course. 
So can you tell us uh, why marketing and sales are different and uh, exist in separate spaces? I've spoken with LSE owners that have said that they have salespeople and why would they need marketing people? Well, because marketing kind of paves the way for sales to actually succeed. I think that's how I look at it. Uh, if, if you just reach out, if, if you have your salespeople just reaching out kind of out of the blue, I don't know how successful you're going to be, right? I'm, right, I'm not, right. I'm not a salesperson, but like I, I, I have salespeople reach out to me kind of on a regular basis for all kinds of things. If, if I'm not already aware of the company or the service provider and what they do, I, I'm just hearing from them completely out of the blue for the first time. And they're, they're, they're hitting me with a sales pitch. It's, it's not, I, I don't really appreciate that. <laughs> of course. You know, I, I like to do business with people I've heard of, companies I've heard of, and that I've been following for a while, you know, depending on what kind of business you're in, but certainly in the localization uh, sector, I think it's important to build your brand first, build trust, you know, build brand awareness right. and th thought leadership, ideally, so that when you do have your salespeople reach out, people have actually heard of you and they actually have a positive first impression of you through through your marketing strategy that you've already been doing. So that, it just, it, it paves the way, right? Of course, that makes sense. Now, uh, we are in the business of br uh, building bridges across cultures and languages. I'm talking about language translation companies, yet most of these companies don't have a geographical focus. Uh, in your opinion, Catherine, is it important to narrow down your marketing focus on places where you can easily sell your services? And how do you do that? Uh, I think it really depends on, on your niche. And, and again, you know, it, and, and your niche really needs to be a result of not just what you're personally interested in working on, but also where the market, where the business opportunities are, right? So, so you do have to do some market research and see, you know, maybe, maybe there's um, verticals that are, that are growing and others that are shrinking, you know, right. maybe there's verticals that are quite small, but there's not a lot of competitors there. So that's interesting, right? If, if, if you, if you have a, um, a hill that no one's claimed yet, you know, maybe, maybe that's the hill for you, right? You can plant your flag there. So I think it just, it, it really depends and, and it's, it should be the result of, of proper market research. Okay. So marketing comes in so many different forms. Uh, digital marketing obviously is the predominant form right now, but what is your advice for language translation companies to take uh, advantage of other forms of marketing, such as trade shows, conferences, outside industry events, and so on? Well, I mean, with COVID, of course, we're all <laughs> much more dependent than that we ever were on uh, virtual networking. So of course. I'll be the first to, uh, to rejoice when we can start going to conferences again. But uh, I, I think we're still a, a ways away from that being able to happen, unfortunately. Um, I do think that marketing these days does have to include digital marketing. Whether or not you also go to in-person events is almost beside the point. Uh, people are now more and more connected, you know, on the internet. Uh, LinkedIn is growing by leaps and bounds. It's it's one of the very few uh, social networks actually that are accessible from just about any country in the world. Yes. Lots of other networks that were within the West are not uh, accessible in China. So uh, LinkedIn is actually a really, really good platform to be on as a, as a business person. I, I think that 
you, you need to assume that marketing these days means digital marketing and anything that you can do in person is just gravy because yes, it is nice to meet people that you want to do, do business with, whether you're the buyer or the seller. Uh, it's nice to meet people in person. And, and in some cultures, that's absolutely crucial, right? Some cultures more than others. Uh, uh, I think there, there are diff- definitely differences in, um, you know, business etiquette around the world and, and differences in how important it is to meet people in real life. But um, right now we're all doing it virtually. <laughs> so right. uh, let's let's make the best of it. I think, um, you know, when it comes to online conferences, there's still a lot of room for improvement there in terms of the platforms that are available to us. But uh, I'm sure there'll be some some clever technology companies coming up with uh, with better and better platforms for that purpose, too. So well, that presents a huge opportunity for even the translation companies to to chime in, and probably it's it's a new area that they could uh, embrace. Uh, right now, we do very little with these type of events. Uh, I mean, it, I, I guess it's new for everybody. Yeah, and and I think I mean I've seen some really great you know examples of of uh, online conferences that work quite well. I mean, it's not the same as in person, you know, don't of get course, me wrong. Yes. It's never going to be the same uh, until we all have, you know, 5G and, and uh, you know, we can create holographs of ourselves, <laughs> and, you know, wear, you know, uh, virtual reality uh, goggles or whatever. But, um, you know, some, some platforms are already doing a much better job than others for, for uh, online conference purposes. Um, but there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there. Okay, so let's uh, shift gears a little bit here. Let me ask you about demographics, which is changing right now. The millennial generation has entered the B2B marketplace and workforce, and it's very, very exciting. How do you see their perception of the language service company and what needs to be changed to spark their interest in our marketing message? Well, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, I'm not a millennial, but uh, I, I had not heard of localization <laughs> before I got into, you know, the, the line of work that I'm in now in, in uh, global marketing, where right. eventually you, you figure out that there is such a thing as localization, and it's actually pretty crucial to <laughs> any kind of successful global marketing efforts. Um, but so again, it, it comes down to the localization industry needing to just market itself better in business circles, because millennials are definitely very much involved in business uh you know lots of entrepreneurial spirit out there and and lots of big thinkers and ambitious you know young entrepreneurs and startups and and all the rest of it so uh it's really up to localization folks to step out of their comfort zone and figure out how they can have engaging conversations with with people in in those circles and it it really involves learning their language uh, there's no other way around it because because you know when you when you go to let's say your mechanics unless you're really into cars and you're really into you know mechanical stuff personally like I don't care how my mechanic fixes my car if if I need to get to point B from point A where I am now I just I just care that my car is going to run I just care that it's going to work and it's right. going to not break down halfway there. What happens under the hood, I don't really care. <laughs> but, but it's important I, I, for you to have confidence in your mechanic. Of course. And and that's where the, the, the mechanic's message or um, his promise comes into uh, play because you don't don't just randomly go to a mechanic that you don't trust. No, but how do you how do you how do you pick a mechanic that you trust? Like if, if I'm not someone who really knows whether or not he knows what he's doing under the hood there, is I like I could watch him all day long fixing a car. Right. 
but I, that doesn't, I don't know. Like I, if I don't understand what's going on there, I'm not going to be able to judge whether or not he knows what he's doing, but I can see by the results and, and maybe by talking to, you know, my neighbors, my colleagues, my friends, my family, you know, who do you recommend? Who have you worked with? Do they know what they're doing? Are you happy with the results? So that's, that's how people, and that's why, that's why, frankly, that's why social networking is so important because that's where people exchange information about who, which, which vendors they worked with and who they were happy with, who they would work with again, who maybe not so much. It, it matters, right? It's all part of your brand. Those referrals and word of mouth marketing that nothing can replace that, of course. No. And it, it's all happening virtually now on social networks. Absolutely. So we covered everything, but, uh, and we briefly talked about the, the pandemic, the, the COVID-19. How do you see marketing evolving for the language industry in this age of paranoia, lockdowns, unknowns, and uncertainty? Uh, should the language service company take some creative steps to stand out? Yeah, I mean, because of Corona and, and everyone having to work from home and, and uh, there not being any conferences where you can have a booth and have people meet you in person. It's all the more important to have a digital marketing strategy, you know, more than ever. And to try to differentiate yourself from your competitors through some, in my view, a good way to do that is through some really targeted content marketing for, for your ideal, ideal client. And by content marketing, I mean, create content that people can access for free that is going to be somehow valuable to them, whether because it's, you know, educational or because it's entertaining <laughs> or, you know, it depends on what line of work right. you're in and who you're trying to attract as a client. But have a content marketing platform and that could be a blog, it could be a podcast, it could be a YouTube channel, whatever kind of format you're most comfortable with. Start with that and start building your archive of, of content there and you'll see what works well and what doesn't work so well, what people are interested in, what they're not interested interested in. Now you have to promote that content, of course. People aren't yes. just going to magically find it. You have to, you know, help them find it. <laughs> and of the course. way you do that is through through social media marketing, right? Just sharing links. That's not selling. That's that's just sharing content. And 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 if the content is not salesy and it's not uh, you know an obvious pitch, right? It's it's really just trying to be helpful. People will appreciate that, and they'll remember that, and they'll remember you for for sharing that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, as we talked about websites earlier, and a website by itself is not enough today to inform and educate clients. Uh, the touch points for customers vary from mobile search to video interaction, chatbot conversation, and of course, email to social media interaction and so forth. What channels and touch points should the language service companies? focus on to, uh, on to market their services in order to be efficient and effective? Well, I think in the case of language services companies, that's very much a B2B space. So if, if you're not already on LinkedIn, I mean, it's, it's high time to be on LinkedIn and it's, and, you know, brush up your LinkedIn profile, make sure you have, make sure your personal profile, you know, comes across the way you would like it to, you right. know, I compare it to attending a networking event in person. So if, if, if you want to do business, business with someone, you're looking for someone that's going to be your new vendor, uh, or you're looking to find new clients. I mean, you want to meet people 
face to face. You want to see their face. I just had a conversation with someone about this on LinkedIn right, right. today. Um, I think it's important for people to be able to see who they're dealing with, you know, and look approachable. And and so that's your personal profile. But then in terms of your business, create a business page if you haven't already, and make sure that the business page has all the information that people need to at least start to understand what your business is offering, whether they are the right client for you, whether, you know, you, you, you are the kind of client that they want to be helping and make sure that they easily find your website. I, like a lot of the times when I find out about a, a business now, the first thing I do is I, I do a search on LinkedIn for that company's name or that right. brand's name and see what I find, right? And if they don't even have a business page, to me, that's not a great first impression. Like in this day and age, I think every business should have a, a LinkedIn page in the B2B space, at least. Uh, absolutely. So, so that's that's a good starting point, right? And then and then, don't just park yourself on LinkedIn and wait for people to come to you. You know, you have to. It's again, it's like a networking event. You don't have to be on there every day, but you know, you need be to be engaged. At least. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I, and then you, if if you can, if you want to start just by interacting with people who already know you and you know them, and it's that's sort of a. Uh, less intimidating to you than then do that right but it's it's a great way to be able to also meet new people new clients potentially or, or new work associates or colleagues or or potential new employees if that's what you're looking for it's it's a great way to just to get to know people virtually in a professional setting and linkedin is just one example but if you are just marketing uh, i think youtube is another um uh, channel that we didn't touch upon but it's very powerful and if you put videos related to what you're doing uh, i think that garners a lot of attention potentially yeah i mean it's again it's it's a uh, i think of youtube as a platform but you have right. to lead people there people aren't just going to magically find you there of there's so much i mean there's oh my goodness there's so much content on youtube that um you know just launching a channel of your own isn't really going to do much for you if you're not uh, also telling people about that. But you you need to also think a bit more strategically. Right. You know, the people people don't have a very long attention span <laughs> on on YouTube. So uh, if if that's going to be your main content platform, maybe use it for very very short form pieces of content. Like I, I think three minutes is probably what you should be aiming for. Five minutes tops. Right. I, I don't think a lot of people are going to be willing, especially business people, they don't have time to sit in front of a YouTube channel and, and watch, you know, half hour long YouTube videos. On especially localization. If it's just a talk, on localization, especially if it's just a talking head, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> whereas, whereas and, and frankly, that's what I love about podcasts, right? Podcasts are, uh, they, they lend themselves a little bit more to longer form content. I mean, you can do really short episodes too. Right. But you can also do longer episodes. And as long as it's content that people are going to find interesting and valuable in some way, you know, they'll they'll listen to it. You know, maybe your audience will be very small, but that's okay. Maybe it doesn't need to be very big. Absolutely. You're it's, targeted. It's, it's Yeah. It's, it's about quality, not quantity. Exactly. So, and finally, um, I would like to know your suggestions about uh, any books or on marketing that you would recommend. I learned quite a bit from the Worldly Marketing uh, Marketer podcast, but I'm curious to know where do you get your information and insights on marketing relevant to our industry? Um, that are relevant to the localization industry yes. or to the marketing industry? To the translation industry, I, things that would apply. 
I, you know, the way I figure out what's going on in the translation industry, frankly, is by talking to people like yourself, talking to people at Lokworld. There's a, there's a, a the first virtual edition of Lokworld is coming up uh, very soon. So very that's, that's yes. going to be, yeah, <laughs> and that's a great, great place to find out who's doing what and how. And, you know, sometimes the technical aspect of it goes way over my head. So, and that's another example where, you know, I would say, uh, know your audience, right? If, if you're talking to other people who are really interested in the technology, the technology side of, of the localization industry, great, you know, tell them all about your latest uh, app or your latest tool, you know, to tell them all about the, the nitty gritty details. But, but to potential clients, maybe focus more on the business outcomes. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, Lokworld is a great place. Gala, Gala is a great place to find out what's going on in the, in the industry. And there are other glo more global organizations that, um, that can uh, help you out. And just following certain newsletters, I think Natalie Kelly, again, I come back to Natalie Kelly's blog. It's a great way to find out uh, what's relevant to, to the business community when it comes to localization and how that fits into the business ecosystem. Um, you know, books per se, I off the top of my head, I don't know, like, but follow, there's so many other sources, like follow NIMSY Insights, right? NIMSY right. Insights is always publishing industry-related uh, information that is very up-to-date and informative. Uh, follow Slater, the Slater blog, the Slater News uh, website. Uh, they have a podcast now too. So those are, right. there's more and more, and, and well, your podcast. I mean, there's more and more podcasts out there that um, are basically have been created by localization industry people for localization industry people. Right. And, uh, and, and it's great. It's great. Um, now, if you want to find out more about the client side, which is equally important, I think, if, of if course. you actually want to sell, <laughs> yes. um, take an interest in global business trade publications. Uh, take an interest in, um, oh, one, one really good resource that is uh, super interesting for anyone, I think, to follow uh and it has all kinds of interesting applications, is uh, Simon Kemp uh, of uh, Kepios. That's the name of his consultancy. He is a, a marketing strategist based in Singapore, and he publishes really, really interesting statistics, up-to-date statistics on global digital trends, you know, how people around the world are using uh, not just the internet, but social me social media, uh, you know, e-commerce, and uh, all kinds of other aspects of right. uh, digital digital communications uh, and so forth. Yeah. Yep. And uh, really important for anyone who is trying to communicate with a, an audience digitally to understand, especially at a, uh, with a global perspective, to understand those trends and those, those, uh, that data, uh, because he does break it down into country data and regional data. So, so Simon Kemp um, in collaboration with Hootsuite and uh, we are social and, uh, uh, global web in, global web index. Uh, he does excellent research and he publishes all. It's all available for free on a website called uh, datareportal.com. Datareportal.com. Yeah, super interesting stuff, and it's all free of charge. You can access all those reports. Um, and just you know, anyone who wants to kind of learn about inbound marketing, which is you know where my heart lies, is. Uh, I would recommend people like Mark Schaefer. Mark Schaefer has been around for a long time now, and he's got a very good way of explaining, you know, where 
certainly for the North American market, where people's heads are at in terms of um, how how willing people are to absorb more content, more content, and uh, what you can do to stand out in such a such a busy, noisy space now. Uh, I think his his latest book is called uh, "The Marketing Rebellion," and it's it's talking about you know how, what can you do to stand out in this uh, digital world where everyone is being bombarded every day with so much content, and and it's hard to know how to cut through the noise and uh, get through to your ideal customer. Well, uh, thank you so much, Catherine, for all that information and and uh, references. I think uh, we will find them very valuable. So uh, my last question for you is if uh, someone from within the industry needs to get in touch with you and to learn more about you or Verbacino, how should they uh, find you and uh, get in touch? Well, they can definitely go to my website, verbacino.com. So V-E-R-B-A-C-C-I-N-O.com. And uh, you can connect with me through that website. Uh, There's a contact page there. Uh, But you're also more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. Actually, more and more active on LinkedIn. Of course, yeah, very active. Uh, I, I find I'm I'm barely on other platforms anymore. Actually, no, that's not true. I'm I'm still very active on Twitter. I am I have a soft spot for Twitter. I think uh, if you know how to use it to your advantage, it's it's uh, one of the most useful networks uh, for business people. So uh, you feel free to connect with me there too, because I'm there every day. Uh, but LinkedIn is my other big one, and um, yeah. Send me uh, an invitation to connect. Uh, don't hesitate. Uh, I, I do appreciate people who personalize their invitation to connect. I, I find that a lot of people don't uh, take the time to do that, and it's uh, it's unfortunate because um, when when you get a lot of invitations to connect on a daily basis, uh, you you it's nice to know why people want to connect with you. You know, something very quick and simple, but. That, that makes all the difference quite often. So, yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and I learned quite a bit today. I'm sure our audience really enjoyed your this conversation as well. I really hope to have you as a guest in the future where we can continue this conversation. So thank you for coming. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Sultan. And again, congratulations on launching your own podcast. I think uh, there's there's room for many more podcasts in, in this space. It's, it's a space that uh, needs more attention and uh, more awareness. And, uh, you know, I personally am a very fan of the podcasting medium. I think it has all kinds of unique qualities to it that make it uh, a great medium for long-form content. So kudos, keep it up. Thank and you. Uh, yeah, I, I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise, thank you. And again, congratulations on on, uh, the Worldly Marketer podcast. It's done an amazing job. Thank you so much. Okay, so we have reached the product review segment for this episode. I take this time to review and rate three products normally related to the topic of our episode. The first product I'm reviewing today is LinkedIn. I'm sure everyone has heard of it and if you haven't then you have quite a lot of catch-up to do. But seriously LinkedIn is a very powerful tool in marketing your B2B translation services to clients across endless number of industries. While you will end up paying for accessing some of its most useful features such as the sales navigator, LinkedIn helps you establish a personal brand, a company page and establish content authority in your space. This is a 10 out of 10 for me. Next, we are going to cover GoToMeeting. This tool facilitates online presentations and meetings and can be perfect for webinars. 
Other products such as Zoom are more focused on individual level meetings. But GoToMeeting can be scaled up to accommodate large numbers of attendees. The cost is also not that bad for this tool. I would give it an 8 out of 10. Third, we are going to review Google Analytics. This tool allows you to get data on your online interactions with your website. You will know how many people are visiting your site, how they find you, and what do they do while they are visiting your website. Of course, there's an endless number of features that offer insights that can help you make educated decisions on your digital marketing and customer journey. To use it, you will need to embed some code inside your website and that needs some, someone with access and knowledge to do so. I would give this tool a 10 out of 10. Well, there you have it. We covered quite a bit in the time that we had and hopefully answered some of your pressing questions about marketing in the age of digital web. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Catherine and I look forward to receiving your constructive feedback and criticism. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.